I am Charlotte Jackson, and this is Game Changer, the podcast that empowers you to align with your true self, mind, body, and spirit, because that is where the magic happens. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a certified holistic coach, Reiki master, and EFT practitioner, and I'm a recovered crystal meth addict. And everything I share with you are things that have already helped me, things I've learned, or things I am learning along my journey. So welcome, and thank you so much for being here. It is my only wish that this episode finds the person that it is meant to find and empowers them to change their life. Hello, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of Game Changer. This episode is really exciting for me because it's almost like the end of a chapter. It is the final instalment, part three of three of my story. So if you've been following along, part one was all about how I became a crystal meth addict. Part two was all about how I got clean. And part three is what life looks like now post crystal meth. And, you know, it's funny when I record these episodes, I actually completely just run with it. I actually never have a plan in front of me about what I want to talk about. I just have the title for the episode and then I just go with it and see what comes out and see what flows. And, you know, I always say a little prayer before I come on that I just pray that whatever is meant to be shared is shared and that it reaches someone who needs to hear what I have to say. So the reason that this episode is quite sort of poignant for me is that I'm recording this episode, part three of three of my story, um, a few days before I am going to be moving out of my parents' house and moving to London, which is so exciting and has been such a long time coming. So I really, today, I just want to talk about what does life look like post-addiction? Because I think that people always think, oh, getting clean is the hard part. And I'm going to be honest with you, right? Getting clean was the easy part. (laughs) Getting clean was so easy in comparison to the last three years of my life. The last three years have been so fucking confronting compared to what I went through in addiction because the thing is when you're an addict you're using drugs to soothe some kind of pain that you're experiencing when you get clean the pain doesn't go away in fact you're suddenly confronted with it and you have to face it and you're like holy shit like everything I was running from is right here slapping me in the fucking face and I can't get away from it so I just want to talk about the last three years. I've been clean for just over three years. I got home from Australia at the beginning of October 2020 and I got clean at the beginning of September 2020. So I had about a month of being clean in Australia before I decided to return home. And then I came home and yeah, like I said, it was not a walk in the park. So I want to talk about that. And I just want to talk through the last three years and everything that's happened and everything I've learned. And hopefully some of this will resonate and give you some insight into the kind of thing that happens post-addiction because it is not about getting clean. I mean, getting clean, like I said, is the easy part. It's very easy to just be like, oh, I'm not going to take drugs anymore. Honestly, it is actually very easy. And that's something that I constantly think about that we're almost sort of fed these lies that it is so hard to get clean. It's actually not. I'm going to put this out there. It is not actually hard to get clean. If you're listening to this and you are an addict, you 100% have the power to change that and don't buy into the bullshit that people tell you. Once an addict, always an addict, whatever, whatever, all that stuff. What you believe to be true is what creates your reality. And something I used to tell myself all the time just before I got clean was, I don't believe in addiction. Now, I'm not saying that that is actually a thing. (laughs) Of course, addiction is real. But I used to tell myself, nah, mate, I'm like, I'm not buying into that. I don't believe in addiction. So if I don't believe in addiction, how the fuck can I be an addict? I can't. In fact, I choose to walk away from this because I want to and I'm going to and I'm going to prove to people that you can. And I did. So if you are listening to this and you are in the midst of addiction, 
do not place yourself into that victim mentality of thinking that the drug is so powerful and it's got this hold over you and blah 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 you are so much more powerful than any fucking drug your mind is essentially a pharmacy and trust me when I say that when you get clean you can feel as high as you do right now without having to touch drugs but anyway that will be a story for another day so what does life look like post addiction let's just tell the story So I got clean at the beginning of September 2020. Now, at this time, Melbourne, which is where I was living in Australia, were going through one of the most intense lockdowns in the world. I think it was the longest lockdown in the world outside of China. It was hectic. It was very, very, very intense. We were not allowed out of our houses for more than an hour a day. We weren't allowed to travel more than five kilometers from where we lived. We had to wear masks walking outside. Um, I personally received a fine because I walked from my front door to my car without wearing a mask and I got a fine, $100 fine for doing that. It was just a very crazy time and I was living by myself and I was obviously clean, just very recently clean (laughs) and I'd had a spiritual awakening. So for me, that was very intense And I remember at one point, and, you know, I don't really want to get into the whole COVID chats right now, but at one point I remember driving in my car and I was wearing a mask in my car by myself on the way to the shops. And I remember just thinking, what the fuck am I doing? And I I had this sudden realization that what I was doing made no logical sense. And I realized at this time, point that I needed to get out of Australia and that the environment that I was in living by myself in the middle of a global pandemic was not healthy and I needed to get home. So I came home and I also want to preface this by saying everything that I'm about to say, and I don't know 100% what I'm about to say, but everything I'm about to say, I want to preface it with, I fucking love my family so much and I am so grateful And I really do appreciate the fact that they welcomed me back home with open arms because I know that not so many people have that experience once they get clean. Not so many people have somewhere safe to go home to. So I I do want to make a point of saying that anything that I say past this point does not negate the fact that I love my family so much and I'm so incredibly grateful for them welcoming me home and for loving me because I know that they love me a lot. So I moved back in the middle of a pandemic, which was a very stressful time for most people, full stop, okay? But I just want to put this into perspective. I had lived overseas at this point for 10 years of my life, and I lived in a city that was actually a really cool city. Melbourne is really cool. It's <laughs> it's actually got so much going for it. It has some of the best food that I have ever experienced in my entire freaking life. It was, yeah, my home for 10 years. And although I don't have obviously the best of memories of that place, I can appreciate that it was a fucking cool, awesome place to live. And I had everything on my doorstep and I, you know, started a business when I was out there and I earned really good money prior to having a business as well. Like I, I really had an amazing life in Australia. And so coming home in the middle of the pandemic, I returned back with one suitcase after I'd lived there for 10 years and I had 50 pounds in my bank account and that was it, $100. <laughs> and I was suddenly back in my family home which I haven't lived in for a very long time I didn't actually grow up in this house um my parents bought this house when I was at university and as soon as I finished university I ran straight away to Australia so it's not somewhere that I knew well I didn't know the town I didn't grow up here I don't have friends here and moved back in with the parents haven't been away for 10 years but not just that I was locked in a house with them in the middle of a global pandemic, which was very stressful for everyone anyway. So you can imagine the environment that I was in, despite the fact that I was in a house with people who really love me, and I was in a house with people who I really love, it was really a very intense and really quite stressful 
environment. Anyone who knows anything about your nervous system, things like that, the way that it can be triggered by your parents (laughs) in particular. Um, The first year that I was back was for me personally, when I think back to it, it was like hell on earth. I felt like I was so trapped, like I had no independence. I felt completely suffocated. I was on edge every time a door would open, I would jump. Every time my mum would speak, I would jump. Every time my dad would say something through like downstairs and I could hear his voice through the floor, I would just be constantly, (gasps) and I, I was just on edge all the time. And I came home and I was exhausted as well. And it was just, it really, I don't have good memories of that first year at all of being back here and locked in a house with my parents in the middle of COVID. It was stressful. There was a lot going on. We had different ideas and viewpoints of the whole pandemic as well, which was stressful. Um, Butting heads with them over that, especially because I was post-addiction. So my points were not valid because I had been a drug addict and all of these things. You know, what would I know considering I've been living under a rock for the past four years, etc, etc. It was just not a fun environment and not just for me but for them as well we were all just stressed all the time butting heads not getting on anything that I did it just felt like it wasn't good enough I I felt like when I came back what I really really wanted to do was kind of carry on the way that I'd been living which was very kind of and I don't mean I wanted to be an addict because that obviously would be ridiculous but one of the things that I experienced when I was an addict was that I had my own business and I had my own time and I could really do whatever the fuck I wanted. I could leave the house when I wanted. I could come home when I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted and there was no one telling me what to do. There was no one watching over me. There was nothing. It was just this complete freedom all the time to do anything. And when I came home, it was the complete opposite. It's like, where are you going? What are you doing? Who are you with? Who are these friends? Who are you talking to? Da, da, da. Are you home for supper? Are you doing this? It was just a constant. It was just such a stark contrast to the life that I'd been living. And I fucking hated it so much. And I had no money. So obviously that was something that was stressful too, because getting clean, it's not as simple as just going back to work. It takes time to reintegrate back into society. And to be honest, I think that when I first got back, in a way, it was really good that we were in a lockdown because I didn't have to reintegrate into society quickly. I had this kind of breathing period of like, okay, I'm actually, all I can do is be at home. And that was exactly what I needed. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And during this time in lockdown, I actually started sharing my story almost straight away actually on Instagram and just talking about how I'd been an addict and everything that had happened and I also finished doing a Reiki course that I had started when I was actually a drug addict. Crazy story actually about the Reiki. I met this guy when I was in the middle of drug addiction Um, on a dating website actually and we met up and we went for dinner and a couple of drinks at this really cool bar and he was not a a drug addict Um, he actually worked night shift which is why he was always awake in the middle of the night when I was awake so it worked quite well in terms of timing and he just thought it was fucking weird that I was always awake in the middle of the night Um, maybe he didn't maybe he kind of knew but anyway he used to do reiki and I remember this one time he came to my house and he was really insistent it was the second time that we had met up and he was so insistent that he wanted to come over but not in a creepy way it was just like I'll come over he lived on the other side of the town so he came over and he basically was just talking to me and then he's like do you mind if I do Reiki on you I was like no okay I didn't really know what it was but I was like no that's fine so he did Reiki on me and then he was like okay cool well anyway I'm gonna go (laughs) And then he left, right? And um, I think it was about maybe a few months or something after I'd met him and I enrolled in a Reiki course to become a Reiki master. And obviously I never completed it. When I came back to the UK, I messaged the woman who runs the course and I just said, look, I registered for this course ages ago. Would I be able to still do it? And she was like, yeah, of course you can. That's totally fine. Like, here's your login details, da, da, da. So I completed this course and I became a Reiki master And 
when I, it was so funny. I love, I love shit like this. So I got this memory pop up on Facebook and it was a photo that I had taken on my way home from this first date with this guy. And it was like, you know, good morning, Melbourne or something. Cause you know, we'd hung out all night and I was heading home from this bar at about six o'clock in the morning. And I remembered, yep, that was the night that I met him. Anyway, it popped up and then a couple of days later, I got my Reiki certificate in the, the mail and I thought, fuck, that is so fucking funny that two years after this guy did Reiki on me, to the day, the fucking day, I became a Reiki master and I just thought that was really cool. Anyway, so I became a Reiki master and I started practicing this online distantly and I was actually really fucking good at it. I remember, I mean, obviously you don't have to be good at Reiki. Everyone can access Reiki, life force energy. If anyone's interested in it, please reach out and I'll be more than happy to tell you everything about it, but that's not what this episode is about. So I was actually, yeah, quite successful in starting this little business. It was during lockdown and I was sharing all about Reiki and I was doing distant treatments on people and having quite a lot of success with it and I was building it up and blah, blah, blah. And it was good. And I thought, shit, yeah, like I, I want to do this. Like I want to have my own business and, you know, I'm becoming more kind of spiritually inclined after what happened when I got clean. And I was so excited, but I was also living in a house with, um, two people who were not excited about this and who were very much, particularly my father, very much like, well, what are you doing? My mom actually is quite open-minded about alternative things and she, you know, was happy for me to do it. But there's this constant feeling that I've always had with my parents and I've had it my whole life that I'm just not fucking good enough. And it doesn't matter what I do or what I try and do. It doesn't matter how successful I am or how not successful I am at things. No matter what I attempt to do, if it's outside of the ordinary, in fact, even if it is within the ordinary, I'm, I'm always met with a lot of negativity and criticism a lot of the time. I'd say like 95% of the time. And I know that this actually stems from their own fear and it's not actually to do with me or my talents or, you know, my capabilities, but I felt this a lot coming back into the family home. And I felt like I had all these big ideas because when I was in Australia and I'd started this business, right, my business came about by mistake <laughs> and it never would have happened if I hadn't have been a drug addict. So what happened was I lost my job. I still to this day don't really know why. I genuinely don't believe that I dropped the ball it was at the very beginning of me taking drugs and I just remember being so confused when they told me that they weren't going to keep me on. I, I was coming up to probation review and they just said, yeah, we're just not feeling it. And they didn't give me any reason as to why. So perhaps it was to do with the drugs. I don't know. But when I think back, I honestly don't believe it was. Anyway, it was a blessing in disguise. So I lost my job. I was very upset. I was very stressed about money. And I went on this app called Airtasker, which is a, it's like TaskRabbit, if you use that in the UK. It's basically an app where you can put up little jobs that you have that you need people to do and then people apply to do them and then you pay them through the app and et cetera, et cetera. So it could be anything like handyman jobs, cleaning jobs, gardening jobs, uh, babysitting, anything really pretty much anything you could think of anyway so I went on there I don't know I don't even remember how I found the app and I started to apply for cleaning jobs because I just thought mm, how fucking hard can cleaning be right bit of a cliche I don't know if you know this but crystal meth addicts are renowned for being incessant cleaners I don't know why I think it's something to do with the way the drug makes you intensely focus on things so you just get so obsessed with whatever the fuck you're doing <laughs> anyway so I started cleaning people's houses and very, very quickly realized that I was getting very good feedback 
All my reviews were five stars. I never had anyone who was disappointed. It was always comments like very high attention to detail. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that was the meth, maybe no, maybe not. But I was a bit of a perfectionist back then anyway. So very high attention to detail, goes above and beyond, blah, 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 blah. So I was thinking, okay, this is cool. Like I can do this and every single job I apply for, I get it. But then I started to realize, you know what? I'm actually fucking capable of a lot more than this. Like I have a university degree. I've worked in corporate offices as, you know, personal assistant, reception, uh, team assistants, you know, that kind of support role for 10 years or so, I suppose. Yeah, about 10 years that I've been doing those kind of roles. And I thought, why don't I combine my organizational skills with the cleaning? So then I started to say to people, hey, you know, I can actually do things like errand running for you. Whatever you do not have the time to do, I can do that for you. And I realize I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but I don't think I've ever told much about this part of my story. <laughs> so I just feel like sharing it. So I, anyway, I started to offer errand running and I would go and do things like pick up the dry cleaning, go to the post office, pick the kids up from school. I would let the plumber into your house when you're at work. I would go to the store and buy decorations for your party I would buy your daughter a birthday present because you didn't have time to go I would go return that dress that you didn't have time to go and return etc 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 and one day I was at home and I was hanging out with one of my friends who was also a drug addict and we were just chatting and he said to me just planted the seed he was like Charlotte you're really fucking good at this have you put all your customers into a database. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you should turn this into a business. How many customers have you got? And I had a lot, right? Like almost to the point that I couldn't quite keep up with all the jobs. And he said, put them in a database. And he said, turn it into a business. Like you can do it. And I had never thought of that. I'd never even hung around people who believed it was possible to start a business, right? The kind of people that I used to work with, it was like, you go to work and you do your nine to five and that's what you do. And you earn your money and then you, you know, work Monday to Friday and then on the weekends you have fun. But this guy, he planted this seed in my head. And to this day, I think perhaps that's the reason I crossed paths with him because he planted this seed and I was like, shit, you know what? You're actually right. And he was like bigging it up. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah, this is fucking good. Like, this is gold. Do it. So then I started upping my prices because I realized that actually I could charge a lot more. And I went from charging like $20 to $30 to $40 an hour. And nobody batted an eyelid. Nobody questioned it. Everyone was happy to pay it. And I was earning really good money <laughs> at this point. I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is good. This is happening. And then I started to get jobs with people who had Airbnbs. And I slowly outsourced all the cleaning jobs and I automated everything because that is my background. I am the admin queen and I automated everything with an app and a booking system so that everything was as seamless as possible. And I'd actually done this from day dot. As soon as my friend planted that seed, turned this into a business, I automated everything and I turned my business into a business from the beginning, even though it was so tiny. I made it seem like it was a massive corporation and that's how I ran it as seamless as possible everything automated and then I outsourced all the cleaning and I just remember sitting at home and I was thinking fuck me I'm earning $20 an hour and I'm not even leaving my house right now because I was paying the cleaners $20 an hour and I kept the extra 20 and I was charging 40 and I thought this is fucking good. Anyway, I couldn't hold on to it because I was a drug addict and I had a lot going on, but it taught me, wow, I am capable of so much more than I ever thought that I was. And I was around people, surprisingly, who encouraged it. You know, you might think I was surrounded by drug addicts who were kind of like good for nothing, whatever they were doing with their life. But I was around people who were like, fuck, yeah, like do it fuck this is awesome do it keep going wow like that's so cool and they had businesses or they had had businesses and they just kind of got it and it, they were always so encouraging so to go from that kind of an environment where I was like yeah wow this is so cool I can do this and like using my creativity to to put this business together and like using my skills to do this and like oh my goodness like the world is this and anything is possible I can create whatever I dream of whatever I imagine I can do it I can do it 
to then being in a house with two people who were like, well, why would you succeed at that when you failed at everything else you've ever done? And that is a direct quote from my father, just FYI, when I told him something that I wanted to start doing and he was just like, well, why would that work? Nothing else that you've ever tried to do has worked. So why would that? And it's just so interesting because I think for me, all the things that I've tried to do that haven't worked have been stepping stones to what I want to do. But anyway, I, I've gone off on a massive random tangent. The point is I got home and I really, really had all these big ideas and I really thought, you know, oh yeah, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to turn the Reiki into this and I want to do that. And it, it does make a difference, the people that you surround yourself with. And I was with people who live in a sort of fear mentality, which really just stems from them wanting to keep me safe. You know, if you branch out and you do something different, well, you're not going to be safe. It's much safer to just get a nine to five and be safe and know when the money's coming in and know when you're going to be off work and know this and know that. And so I have to say that kind of that spirit that was in me when I got home and I was like so excited by all the things that I could be doing, it really got quite crushed by being in a house with people who, and particularly my father, who was just like, no, like, that is not reality. That isn't, that is ridiculous. Like you need a reality check. This is real life now. You can't do that anymore. Like you've got to fucking, you know, do the fucking shit life of like nine to five, blah, blah, blah. So I do feel like in that first year, that kind of, that's that magical spirit that was within me, that was the spirit that helped me get clean. That was like, holy shit, miracles are real. Anything is possible. I can do this. I can do anything I put my mind to. Whatever I think becomes true. Rah, rah, rah. I can manifest my reality. Suddenly I was like, oh, no, I can't. Mm. And I just like crashed back down to earth. And then on this, the flip side of that, you know, obviously we're dealing with the pandemic So I was building up this little business, but then I started to hang out with a crowd of people that I had met on Instagram, actually. And they were kind of um, a bit of a sort of spiritual crowd who were very into meditation and all these different things. A lot of Reiki people and just people who saw the world a little bit differently to, I guess, the majority. And one thing that I really struggled with as well when I came home was that I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. And weirdly, when I was a drug addict, I had this real sense of belonging, which I've never had in my entire life. And that was something I think that was very hard to leave behind and let go of. And I stayed in touch with people from that scene for a really long time. And obviously I wasn't, you know, seeing them because they lived in Australia, but it, you know, being a drug addict was the one place where I just felt accepted and also like, as soon as I met another person who was on crystal meth, it was like instant. Oh my goodness. Like we have this thing in common. Like it's almost like we're part of this little weird secret underworld club (laughs) that like not everyone knows about. And you suddenly had a connection and you could just, you would just talk shit, like talk about anything. People used to share like the craziest stuff when I think about it, you know, you'd just be sitting with strangers and everyone's talking about their deepest, darkest secrets, their traumas, like all the shit they've been through. And And it really was this kind of strange camaraderie between drug addicts like it was it was weird so leaving that behind was actually very difficult and coming home to a place where I didn't grow up and to be honest like coming home to people that didn't actually know me anymore and I'm not just talking about my parents but also people that I had been friends with who you know I wasn't the person that left I and thank god I wasn't because The girl that I was prior to being a drug addict, she was not happy, okay? She was very, in inverted commas, normal. And she was doing everything that she should be doing. She was working nine to five and she was going on on weekends and getting drunk and she was in relationships and whatever else the fuck she was doing. She was fucking miserable. And that is part of the reason she became a drug addict. So when I came home... And I was sort of reconnecting with people that I had known before I'd left. There just was no common ground between us anymore. And I grew a lot through addiction and I've changed a lot. And I am just not the same girl that left. You know, I'm a woman now. And 
it that was really difficult too because it was trying to find familiarity with people that I just wasn't familiar with anymore and no absolutely no shade to them whatsoever they they did nothing wrong at all but it was just there was just no connection anymore and we just really grew apart and so I did come home and just feel like I have nothing I've lost my independence I have no money I'm completely reliant on my parents I'm so stressed living at home my nervous system is constantly activated 24 7 don't know what the fuck I'm doing there's all this fucking pressure from everyone to just go back to the person that I was even though I'm really not that person anymore and yeah I was really quite miserable for the, that whole first year and I started dating someone in the spiritual community and I hadn't dealt with any of my shit and to this day and I want to put this out there I I have not done any therapy and it's something that I am about to embark on very soon. I think I've seen a therapist maybe once, no, maybe three times in my life um, before I became a drug addict, but when things were going to shit and I was really struggling with the depression and I could feel I was going down a slippery slope and I was in this really toxic relationship post breakup with my fiance there was drugs involved but I wasn't an addict to this point and I did end up seeing someone but it was I don't know it just I guess I didn't resonate with them or maybe I wasn't ready I mean I really feel like I was crying out for help but it was just like I don't know just the help I couldn't find it I couldn't find it So post-addiction, I have not done any therapy and I need to. (laughs) And this is something that I am going to do. I have worked with coaches and even again, to be honest, I remember I started working with this coach and she was very much into neuroscience and very helpful. And even that was met with, you know, my father, oh, isn't that for people that have something wrong with them? Like who does things like that? And it's just, I I hate how much my father can get into my head. I hate it. Even talking about it now, I can feel myself like tearing up because I know that when you are 100% like comfortable with yourself, that nothing anybody says can get to you. It doesn't matter if someone is like, oh, isn't that for people that have something wrong with them? You just think, well, fuck it. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm actually trying to look after myself and be the best person that I can be. But these kind of comments, like when they come from people in your life who you have close relationships with, like partners or parents or siblings, they really fucking cut deep. And so I just sort of abandoned that idea, to be honest. And so at this point, I started dating this person and I'd done no real work on the reasons that I had become a drug addict like I'd yes I'd become clean I'd learned so much about myself I've done so much healing in terms of like wow like I realized that this has happened because I think so little of myself blah 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 but I was not in relationship with anyone so then suddenly I start dating this guy and all the patterns from the past start to come back (laughs) and I'm dating a guy who is incredibly avoidant and detached and keeps me at arm's length and will sleep with me but he might sleep with other people too and he's you know he doesn't lie about it but he's open about it and I just was so in a state of just please just choose me (laughs) and it's so crazy when I think about it now I just think like what the fuck Charlotte like how I didn't look at that you know relationship and it wasn't a relationship but when I, I say relationship I just mean like the two of us spending time together how I didn't look at that and think like this is fucked up Charlotte like you are craving connection and love and deep emotional intimacy and this person cannot give it to you and he did absolutely nothing wrong he didn't do anything wrong like he was never dishonest he didn't lead me on he didn't tell me like things that I wanted to hear or whatever but you know, I just, I just remember this one time that I think we just slept together 
and we went to this big group meditation type thing and I got there and he came and said hello to me and then we basically essentially just ignored each other for the entire time I mean from my perspective he ignored me but I just went along with it because I was like being the cool girl who like didn't really give a shit that the guy that I just sat with was just like completely pretending in a way that I almost like was I could basically I could have been any other person who was there is what I'm trying to say he wasn't ignoring me but I was like oh shit okay like I have totally misrepresented in my own head who I am to this person like in my head I think I'm special and different to anyone else any other woman that's here but I wasn't (laughs) and it fucking crushed me like I was not ready for that at all and I remember going home and just like bawling my eyes out just bawling like just feeling so sad and rejected and just all of the feelings and it was yeah it was just brutal anyway around this time I started to see things online from the spiritual community from people that were in the spiritual community with me and they were posting things about Christianity and they were saying you know that all these new age spiritual practices were very dark and demonic my favorite word and we shouldn't partake in them because Jesus is the way and the truth and the light and that is the answer to everything and I started to really dive down that rabbit hole because again remember when I got back from Australia the one thing that I was really craving more than anything was a sense of belonging I just wanted to belong somewhere so I started with this spiritual crowd and I wanted to belong there but I didn't really you know, find my 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 soul tribe, should we say. So then I started to see all this stuff online about Christianity and the darkness that's in all these new age practices. And I could really see what they were saying because when I was engaging in these spiritual practices, I was very unhealed and fucked up. <laughs> I was like, I just come out of a four-year crystal meth addiction and I was living with my parents and I wasn't doing therapy and I had no one to talk to about what I was going through and I was trying to be normal and I was pushing and fighting against the desire and the want to build something meaningful and to help people and to create and the force around me that was shoving me back into the box that I had come from, which was be normal, be normal, just be fucking normal. And yeah, so I could see, oh my goodness, yes, this is so true. There is so much darkness, but there wasn't darkness. The darkness that I was experiencing was my own mind and my own bullshit and lack of self-awareness and lack of understanding of what I truly, truly needed in that moment. So instead of looking at that situation with that guy and saying to myself, why the fuck am I tolerating less than I deserve? And why the fuck am I attracted to people that give me breadcrumbs of attention? And why the fuck am I opening my legs to people that do? I decided that because this guy was very heavily involved in new age spiritual practices, that the answer for my experience was because everything that he was involved in was demonic. And that the answer in that case, was for me to run away from it. So I wiped my hands clean of all the new age things. I wiped my hands clean of my Reiki business. I cut out everyone who was anything to do with that. And I turned to Christianity and I just gave everything to it. And I did not deal with any of my shit. This is like spiritual bypassing to the fucking max. I'm like, you just take me Christianity. Like, and it's funny because I obviously now I'm not a Christian anymore. 
And, you know, I did the whole shebang. Like I, I got baptized and I joined a church and I was like heavily involved and I was always sharing my testimony with everyone. Oh, I, you know, I got clean from this crystal meth addiction and it was God and he saved me. And then um, I was in the new age and then he saved me out of that and blah, blah, blah. And it just really taught me that basically whatever you choose to believe, you will believe to be true. It doesn't actually matter like what you decide is true. But every single time in my life that I have believed something to be true, I have found evidence for it. And that's the way that our brains work. If you believe that something is true, then you will find evidence for it being so. So I became a Christian for, I think I was a Christian for maybe about 10 months or so. And again, it was really me just trying so hard to to fit somewhere I just want to be, I just want to belong. And that's kind of the story that has followed me throughout my entire life because I've always bounced around from school to school and country to country. And, you know, I went to university in Scotland, even though I'm English, and then I moved to Australia. So wherever I've gone, I've always made myself the outsider. And it's weird because all I ever really wanted was to belong somewhere and to be a part of something and to be part of a group. But I always pushed myself out of it. So at this point, around the time that I became a Christian, I also got a job as a nanny. And this was just the most fucking beautiful blessing. It just appeared out of nowhere. (laughs) And I remember praying to God just before it happened. And I just said, you know, please remove anything from my life that is not for me. And, and, you know, like, God, I love you so much. This is before I became a Christian, actually, just before I became a Christian. Um, But I was really feeling this deep connection to God. And um, it was the same connection that I felt to God when I when I had just gotten clean and I knew that God was real. And I was like, you know, please, God, like remove anything from my life that is not, you know, not for my highest good and da 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 da. And then bring everything in that is. And I had a fight with that guy, actually. And and I thought, oh, my goodness, God's just taken him out of my life. And then I got a a message out of the blue for someone asking me if I wanted to be a nanny. And I thought, this is from God. So I went with it. And it was such a beautiful experience to be a nanny. Um, Children are genuinely such gifts. Like I, I just love them so much. And so that was, that was beautiful. And that was my first full-time job um, a year after I had gotten clean. I finally got my first full-time job. Obviously I'd been earning a bit of money here and there through the Reiki business and stuff, but because I then became a Christian and gave up the Reiki business and then I became a nanny and I did that full-time and it was amazing. And then after that, I started to work in a store part-time and I just used to stack shelves and I remember it was really boring <laughs> and and I used to listen to podcasts actually and audiobooks um, all night I would pop my headphones in hide them behind my hair and I would just stack the shelves and just listen to all this stuff that I was interested in a lot of sermons and things like that because I was obviously heavily Christian at this point and I just used to find it just yeah, it was actually a gift that I had all this time to be learning and, and opening my mind up to certain things and essentially reading loads of books. So I filled filled my time with doing that. And then I decided to take up running, which was really random and I don't really know where it came from. And this really shows because when I was uh, first back from Australia, first got clean, I was doing a lot of yoga And when I became a Christian, I was told that yoga was demonic. And so I stopped doing it and I stopped exercising full stop. And your body is, you know, you can't not move your body. Your body needs to move so that you can move the energy and so that you can, uh, I don't know how to explain it, but your body is very connected to your mind and what's going on. And I was very stuck in Christianity. I was in this very black and white thinking of like, this is demonic and this is not. And if it's not of God, then I don't want it. And it was just these rules and like constantly being very stressed about making the wrong decision, which was the exact same way that I felt when I was in that spiritual community as well. I was just constantly scared of getting it wrong. And I see now that what actually was going on in both of these experiences was that I was actually stuck in a freeze state with my nervous system where I couldn't make decisions and I was scared and I I just was stuck. So I started running. I did a couch to 5k program because obviously running's not demonic. (laughs) And um, I started running. And as I started running, 
I started to come out of Christianity. It was like simultaneous. I was running and I would slowly like as I was running, start to have these weird epiphanies as I was running and I'd start to ask these questions and go, oh my goodness. And But just FYI, whilst I'm saying this, I'm not shitting on Christianity. If you are a Christian, then, you know, it's all good. I'm not remotely trying to say Christianity, you shouldn't be doing that. I will never tell anyone what they should or shouldn't be doing when it comes to their faith, religion, spiritual beliefs, non-spiritual beliefs. If you're an atheist, whatever you are, like you do you, babe, honestly. But this is just my own personal experience. So I started running And I just would always find after running, I had this clear mind and I would think, this doesn't make sense to me and it doesn't resonate. And so I would ask questions to people and their answers didn't really answer the question. And I would ask more questions and I would be told, I don't understand the grace of God or I just don't understand because I'm a baby Christian or (laughs) just all these things. And it was just, I never really got any answers and I was just getting... I just used to get pissed off about it and slowly I could feel myself like disentangling from from this uh, religion and then I remember one day and I was stacking the shelves and I just prayed and I'm like god mate I need to get the fuck out of this job I'm so bored I'm so bored of stacking the shelves please like I need to get out of here and anytime I've ever asked for help in that way it always comes like so instantly it anytime i'm telling you now if you do not believe in something a power greater than you i'm telling you now if you get on your knees and you just say i don't know who i'm talking to don't know who i'm praying to but i believe like just show me what to do you will be shown so i'm praying and i'm just saying i need to get out of this job i need a new job anyway i'm continue stacking the shelves and i just get this thought the leisure center thinking the leisure center okay cool So I look online, what do you know? There is a job at the leisure center and it is for a receptionist. And so I go and apply for the role and I get the job. And this part of my journey in post crystal meth life was probably the most healing part of my journey. And for anyone who is listening to this, who works at that leisure center or did work at that leisure center, I want you to know that you are such an incredible part of what has helped me heal and become who I am today. And I am so incredibly grateful for every single soul that I met at that leisure center who was just part of this beautiful community. And it was the first time And it it will forever be the first time in my life that I have ever felt like I belonged somewhere. And I am so incredibly grateful to my team and everyone who worked there who just welcomed me with open arms, accepted me for who I was. Everyone there knows that I used to be a drug addict. I talked very openly about it and they never treated me any differently for it and I think to be honest most people were quite fascinated by it because they were like what the fuck like you were a drug addict that's crazy all different ages like people from the age of 18 right up to probably 60s and we were all such good friends and I just I will forever hold those people so close to my heart because They just gave me the community and the sense of belonging that I had always wished and prayed for. And that job was a miracle. Like it genuinely was. It really changed my life. And so I I worked there for about a year and it, yeah, it was just so healing. And I still pop in sometimes and see everyone. And it just gave me, it really did give me that sense of belonging. And it's the first time because I was working in a sort of local center, a local business, I would go out into the town and I would see people who I recognized and you know you'd say hi to people and customers that you saw there and it just really gave me that feeling of wow I actually belong here and I like it (laughs) and so it was exactly what I needed and I don't know if you've ever heard that expression your life is your medicine I don't know if you've ever heard that before but it is so true your life is your medicine like everything that you need your life contains that So that was, you know, me, Um, I worked there for about a year and then I applied for another role with the same company, but at the head office. So much more like 
what I had maybe done in the past, a bit more admin, a bit more uh, computer based as opposed to face to face with customers. And that role, again, was a miracle and a blessing because it's a work from home role and it's given me the opportunity to now move out of my parents' house and move to London, which is something I have been dreaming about for the past three years. For three years, I have been dreaming of the day (laughs) that I would leave this house. (laughs) And, And I'm not saying that to throw any shade on my parents by any means, but oh my goodness, I am so looking forward to moving out Um, having my independence back, having some freedom, not having to tell people where I'm going all the time. And not because they're trying to keep an eye on me, but just because they just ask all the time. And I just, I just can't wait to just be me again. And the way that I would describe the last three years, it's felt like I have been in a cage And by that, what I mean is, I feel as though I'm so safe. Imagine a bird in a cage, right? I'm so safe. I'm so loved by the people around me that keep me in the cage. And I am so well looked after and taken care of. And I have everything I need. I'm fed, I'm watered, I'm safe, I'm warm. But I'm still in a cage. And I'm a bird. And birds are meant to fly and I can't fly whilst I'm in the cage so moving to London feels like the cage door has opened and that I'm getting to fly again and I yeah I don't say that in a way that means being in a cage is being trapped because that's not what I mean but I just feel as though finally after three years I'm able to fly and I think when I first got back, I wanted to fly straight away, but I couldn't. (laughs) I wanted to do all the things straight away. I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be out of my parents' house, but I couldn't do that. So this is really, I guess, a message for you if you are someone that is embarking on a sobriety journey or anything like that. You're starting your life over for some reason, perhaps for whatever reason you've lost everything and you're having to build things back up. You absolutely can, but at the same time, it actually takes time to do it. You can't rush it. And the healing will happen as and when it's meant to. And yes, of course, I'm sure there are so many things that I could have done to speed this journey up. Um, If I had started therapy a long time ago, (laughs) I think that would have really sped things up for me because I would have been able to process what happened a lot quicker. Because another thing is as well is, you know, everyone thinks, oh yeah, the drug addiction was the problem. Like the drug addiction was not the problem at all. The the drugs are just so irrelevant, honestly, they really are. And again, if you're listening to this and you're an addict, the drugs are fucking irrelevant. I'm just going to put that out there. They are so irrelevant. Don't give them the power to have the power of your life. You know, they are, they're irrelevant. But during the addiction, like so many things happened. So many traumas that I experienced whilst I was an addict, let alone the things that I probably need to process from before then. And I just haven't, um, you know, you can try as much as you want to do the work, but it really helps to have a professional hold your hand and walk you through that. And maybe I wasn't ready to do the work until now. Now I'm 100% ready. I'm so excited to dive in and I'm even more excited to share with you what I learned along the way of doing that. But I, you know, I went through a lot of shit when I was an addict post breakup with my fiance, which was pretty big, massive trauma as it was. And then into a really abusive relationship with someone who was just so toxic for me. And I experienced many abusive relationships whilst I was a drug addict, which were incredibly traumatic. I was homeless, which is also incredibly traumatic. And all of these things I need to process and work through. So it's taken me three years to get to the point of realizing that number one, it is totally, totally okay not to have your shit all together (laughs) 
from the get-go and that it's okay for it to take time for you to get back on track and you don't need to rush it. Number two, I really wish that I had learnt that I don't have to listen to everyone around me but it's so so hard not to listen to the things that your parents say it's almost impossible to shut them out and number three you don't have to save everyone else either just focus on you and your own journey and your own healing and value the little mini connections that you have because you don't need to be having these deep soul connections with every single fucking person in your life Connection is waving hello to someone. Connection is knowing people who live in your town, who work at the same building as you that you can say hi to when you cross paths with them. Like connection is so nuanced. It doesn't have to be this whole fucking like, oh my goodness, like I'm best friends and soul sisters with every fucking person that I know. It doesn't have to be that. It really doesn't. It can be as simple as just loving the people around you, having these little mini connections and then having a couple of soul connections thrown into the mix as well. So to wrap things up, how does life look three years post-addiction? I have gone through a lot living with my family as they have as well. And it has taken me about three years to feel comfortable, to feel balanced to feel like I can do what I want to do be who I want to be have the beliefs that I want to have and that I do not have to answer to anyone I'm not scared of making the wrong decision or believing the wrong thing which I was terrified of before and I just really have gotten to a point where I fucking love who I am And I still have insecurities and I still have things to work through, but I am in a really good space and I feel comfortable on my own. I feel like I just meet people that I'm meant to meet. I don't have this longing and this craving anymore for desperately trying to be accepted or trying to fit into a community or anything like that. I just know that I fit in wherever I go because I'm me and... I love me and I feel good. And so, yeah, life three years post-addiction is probably not what I thought that it would be. I think that I thought at this point I would be fucking taking over the fucking world, having some baller of a business, doing this, doing that, saving the world, whatever I thought I was doing. And instead, I'm just about to move out of my parents' house and... You know, I've dabbled in so many things in terms of like the Reiki and the EFT and the coaching. I've done it all. And I I genuinely know that I am going to be working for myself full time at some point in the near future. There's so many things that I want to do, so many things that I want to create, so many people that I want to help. And it's taken me a good three years to get to the place that I am ready and feel safe enough in my own body to do so and I'm honestly the way that I feel today which is four days before I move out of my parents house is that my life is just beginning and I'm three years post-addiction so if you are just about to step out of addiction yourself if you have just stepped out my advice to you would just be just be kind to yourself don't rush anything there's nowhere that you're meant to be you're not late you're not too soon you're right on time you're exactly where you're supposed to be and you just have to trust the process and the moment that you trust and you let go and you get those ideas out of your head of what life is supposed to look like then that's when the magic actually starts to happen. Because once you relax and your nervous system calms down, you're actually able to tune into what you want. You can tune into your intuition. You can tune into God and you can hear what's coming through. 
And you can't do that if you're fucking rushing around, trying to chase, chase, chase. I want to be here. I want to be there. I want to be, I want to be further ahead. Da, 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 da. You can't hear it when you're in that space. So my advice really would be just to slow the fuck down and enjoy life and just let things come as and when they're meant to. And trust me, they will. So I'm going to wrap this up because this episode is getting a little bit long. I hope you enjoyed hearing what life is like post crystal meth. Like I said, I'm three years clean, which is super exciting. Life is just beginning. I really feel like I'm on the precipice of a massive chapter change. I feel like not even a chapter change. I feel like I am starting a whole new book (laughs) and I'm so excited and I'm so grateful to have you here and to be able to share this crazy journey with you and I just, I appreciate you so much for listening. Genuinely, I am so grateful. Every time I go on Spotify and I see someone else has rated the show, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that people are actually listening to this. (laughs) So if you haven't rated it, please do. It means the absolute fucking world to me. And of course, if you want to reach out to me, I am on Instagram. I am Charlotte Jackson is my handle. I will share that in the show notes as I always do. And please reach out with any questions or anything else. Share this episode with your friends, with your family, anyone who you think needs to hear it. And I really hope that I have been able to inspire you and encourage you that you can do whatever the fuck you put your mind to. But sometimes we have to get out of our own way. Okay, that's all from me for now. But thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of Game Changer. I hope you enjoyed it and I will catch up with you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Mm